Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In part three of Arthur Schopenhauer's On the Basis of Morality, he devotes an entire chapter, number 18, to what he calls the virtue of loving kindness. Virtue is Tugend, and loving kindness is Menschenliebe. It's also translated as philanthropy. There's a number of other words that we could use for this. If we're placing this in different contexts, we might call it benevolence as well. And he talks about caritas, this Latin term that we sometimes translate as charity, agape in Greek as well. And there's a lot of different ways to formulate this. At the start of the chapter, he says something quite interesting about where we get these ideas historically. Now, he also points out that in ordinary life, we do recognize this and we do enact it as well. We don't necessarily need a theoretical basis, but it is worth reflecting on where this idea made its way into philosophical discussions of how we ought to behave and relate to our fellow human beings. And so he tells us that the philosophers of antiquity, and by this he means Greek and Roman philosophers, recognized justice as a first and fundamentally essential cardinal virtue, and they coordinated it with three others that were unsuitably chosen, he says. Well, what are these? Well, you know, wisdom, courage, temperance. Those are not, in Schopenhauer's view, cardinal virtues. And then he says, on the other hand, they did not set up philanthropy or loving kindness as a virtue. And he brings up several cases. Plato, who rises to the greatest heights in morality, gets only as far as voluntary disinterested justice. He says, it is true that philanthropy has existed at all times in practice and in fact, but it was first theoretically mentioned, formulated as a virtue by somebody else. Who? By Christians, by Jesus the teacher and those who followed him. He says that it was formulated as the greatest of the virtues and extended even to enemies by Christianity. This is Christianity's greatest merit, he goes on to say, although only in respect to Europe, not Asia. And why not Asia? Schopenhauer, incidentally, is one of the philosophers in the West who's really taking Indian philosophy seriously. And so he brings up the Veda, the Dharma Shastra, the Puranas, and, and other texts. And he talks about the teaching of the Buddha Sakyamuni. And so what we've got here is in non-Western philosophy, specifically in India, we've got Hindu and Buddhist teachers and texts that are saying that this comportment of loving kindness or of philanthropy is something quite important. So we've got two different, we could say, sets of traditions bringing it up and formulating it, you know, bringing it into cultures. And he does say, to be strictly accurate, we must mention that traces of a recommendation to loving kindness are to be found even among the ancients, 
For example, in Cicero, De Finibus, on the moral ends in book five, it's interesting he doesn't mention another work by Cicero, which does touch upon this, but which frames it as part of justice, namely on duties. Book one, where there's a significant discussion of this, he brings up Pythagoras, according to Iamblichus, in the life of Pythagoras. And he says, oh, you know, there, there were some traces of this, but if you compare even what Cicero is saying to what we see in Christianity, Cicero's understanding of this or Cicero's advocacy of this is considerably limited. There are duties to enemies, but they're not duties of benevolence. Right? So Christianity and, and Hindu and Buddhist, we could say texts, traditions are articulating something more important. After we get through this historical discussion, where did this make its way into culture, into philosophy? We get to an analysis. He says, another suffering in itself and as such becomes my motive. What it is that is motivating me to do things. And how does it do so? By compassion, mitleid, literally suffering with the other person. This is one of the three main incentives or motivations that Schopenhauer identifies as driving us human beings. And so this is how compassion shows itself in this comportment or virtue of loving kindness. And it tells us a number of important things about this. The first thing that he wants to stress is what he calls the positive character of the actions. So this is how it differs from justice. Justice is basically hands off, don't injure other people, right? It's kind of a negative, respecting the rights of others, for example. And loving kindness goes beyond this. Loving kindness does things that are positive. You look at the other person and you help them. You see their suffering, you see their pain, you see their distress, and you try to remove it or relieve it or do something about it. So feeding the hungry person might not actually be a matter of justice. It could very well be a matter of loving kindness. Now, of course, if you go to somebody and take away their sandwich, you are committing injustice. But going to another person and giving them a sandwich just out of the blue, because you can tell that they're hungry, you know, asking them, hey, you want to come into this store and I'll buy you a sandwich? That would be loving kindness. That's showing this positive character that he is talking about. It, he says, compassion not only restrains me from injuring another, it even impels me to help him. It motivates me to help the other person. And I think another really important trait about this, he talks about sacrifice. He says, I will be induced by this purely moral motive to make a greater or smaller sacrifice for another's needs or distress because I, I feel I keenly participate in this distress that they are feeling. And then he says this sacrifice may consist in an expenditure, a giving, a using of my bodily or mental powers on this person's behalf. So I'm giving of myself or of the things that I have. He gives examples of this, the loss of property. You know, if I'm giving a beggar some money, I don't have that money anymore, right? 
I mean, if I am just thinking about, well, you know, what comes around goes around. I'm not really being compassionate in that case. We'll talk about that in a bit. If I am giving it to them and I'm not expecting anything in return, I've lost something. So property, health, you could be putting your health at risk. You could be sacrificing your health for other people. Freedom, the capacity to do what it is that you choose to do. We can bind ourselves to other people, even life itself. And he gives as examples of these sorts of things throughout the work, a number of interesting ones. A hero who says, take care of my wife and children, and then goes out and grabs all the spears to himself, killing himself in the process so that the freedom fighters can beat the mercenaries. Uh, that's one example. It could also be um, giving your life over time. It ties in with, right? to another person to preserve their own life. It could be choices that you have to make in a difficult situation. Who's going to stay on the lifeboat? Who's going to eat the food that's available in the famine, right? So sacrifices are important. He also talks about, and this is a very interesting formulation, purely objective aim. Um, what is it that we're really aiming at? What is it that we're really trying to do? He says, we have cases where my aim could be something other than the purely objective one of wanting to know the other person is helped, is rescued from his need and distress, or is freed from his suffering, and absolutely nothing else but this. Only with the purely objective aim have I really shown that loving kindness, caritas, agape, the preaching of which is the great and distinguishing merit of Christianity. And he, he goes on and he talks about this biblical precept in Matthew. Don't let the one hand know what the other hand is doing when you're giving, right? Don't do it so that you look good or so that you feel good or something like that. He says that these are based on a feeling of what I've deduced here, namely that another's distress alone and no other consideration must be my motive if my action is to have moral worth. And he says, the Vedas also give us the higher inspiration. They assure us that whoever desires any reward for his works is still wandering on the path of darkness and is not yet ripe for deliverance. And he's got this wonderful passage here that I think really clarifies this. If anyone were to ask me what he gets from giving alms, my answer would be this, that the lot of that poor person is made so much the lighter, otherwise absolutely nothing. If this is of no use and no importance to you, then your wish was not really to give alms, but to make a purchase. And in that case, you're defrauded of your money. You didn't get a good bargain, right? If, however, it's a matter of importance to you that the person who is oppressed by want suffers less, then you've attained your object from the fact that he suffers less and you see exactly how far your gift is rewarded. So the aim, the object of charity, of you know loving kindness, however we want to put it, is that the other benefit, that the other is harmed less, that the other has their needs attended to, that the other has their distress alleviated, at least to some degree. So this is, this is extraordinarily important, right? And now he also says, how is this actually possible? And this is where we get a very interesting way of formulating it. Schopenhauer rejects the idea. He talks about there being an identification in compassion, but it's not an identification in that I imagine myself as that person and like everything between us is totally broken down and I'm just helping myself. That would actually still be egoistic. 
I recognize that they are not me and I am the one who is acting. They are the one who is being benefited. But I also feel and participate in their suffering. It could be a suffering of all sorts of things. It could be need. It could be unsatisfied desires. It could be humiliation. It could be sadness. It could be grief. Whatever it happens to be, I participate in it. I feel it, but I don't feel it in me, I recognize that I'm not the one who's actually being harmed. They are. And I feel it in them. It's a way of access, you could say, to another person. And he says that, you know, we don't actually have a complete explanation for this. The occurrence is mysterious. It is something our faculty of reason can give no direct account of can give an indirect account. We just did right there. And its grounds cannot be discovered on the path of experience. And yet it happens every day. Everyone has often experienced it within himself, even to the most hard-hearted and selfish, he says, it is not unknown. It's actually there in all of us, at least in potential, this compassion with other people. So I share in the other's suffering in them, in who they are, right? So this is a very important to consider. He also talks about the possibility of doing things that seem benevolent or charitable or loving kindness, but they're they're actually not. Why not? Well, think about the example that we just gave before. Somebody says, why should I be charitable to a beggar? And you're like, so that you help them out. And they're like, yeah, but why should I help them out? At that point, there's something they're not getting. And they're being uh, motivated by egoistic imperatives, impulses, motives, however you want to talk about it. You could be motivated by egoism. A lot of people will give to charity so that they get a tax break, so that they look good to other people, feel good about themselves, right? There's all sorts of possible motivations, feeling a sense of guilt. So, you know, this is what often is the case, he says. As soon as I have my own wheel, however remote and indirect and view and doing a good deed, and when I am urged by considerations of reward in this world or the next, or by the attainment of high esteem, or by the reflection that the person I help may someday be able to help me in return, or otherwise to serve or benefit me, finally, when I'm urged by the thought that the maxim of magnanimity or charitableness must be upheld because it may one day benefit me, In short, this is the case whenever my aim is anything other than this purely objective aim. I'm being driven by egoism or another possibility. I can also be driven by the clearly anti-moral motive of malice, right? I can give to somebody else. I can do something for somebody else just to tick somebody else off, to make them jealous, to make them angry or something along those lines. He says, I can do good to one person to annoy another who I do not benefit or to make the other person's sufferings more acute or even to put to shame a third who does not benefit the first or by my action to humiliate the man who I benefit. There's all sorts of ways of being seemingly loving kind or benevolent or philanthropic, which are really to hurt somebody else. Now, the last thing that I think is really worth bringing up here, and it's a case that we should consider, 
Schopenhauer says that this doesn't just happen on the individual level. It can happen on a much larger scale. And he brings up the very interesting case of how the British ended slavery. He says that there was long deliberation and difficult debates. The magnanimous British nation gave 20 million pounds to purchase the freedom of the Negro slaves in its colonies. This it did with the joy and approbation of the whole world. Whoever feels inclined to deny the most of this fine action on a grand scale is traceable to compassion in order to ascribe it to Christianity should bear in mind that in the whole of the New Testament, not one word is said against slavery. At the time, the thing was so universal. And, you know, you could even quote the Bible about that. And, and he says, so what was really going on here was a benevolence or loving kindness on a very large scale. Does that mean that every single person involved in it or the owners who were benefited by being paid this money were necessarily acting out of motives of loving kindness. No, he's not asserting that. But he is holding out the possibility for some large-scale actions, policies, in fact, through deliberation of people making the arrangements to be motivated by compassion towards loving kindness. So this is a very important area of Schopenhauer's ethics. He conceives of it as a virtue, Tugend, and he thinks that it drives uh, a lot of stuff, but it must always be motivated by compassion or it has no moral significance or negative moral significance. It doesn't serve anything good if it is motivated by compassion, even if perhaps the results don't work out the way that you want, it does have positive moral value. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.